the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. I'm Richard Mead, editor of Lloyd's List. We're nearly halfway through the year, and let's face it, it's been a bumpy ride so far. So what better time to take a look at what the rest of the year holds in store for us? And who better to ask than that rarest of beasts, an equity research analyst, Mike Weber. Mike Weber, Wells Fargo superstar head of shipping and LNG research, is a welcome return guest to the podcast. Welcome back, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me. Very good to have you back. So you are getting increasingly lonely out there as an equity research analyst in New York. Is the exit of uh, your peers and colleagues um, something we should be worried about as an industry, do you think? Uh, obviously, a lot of, a lot of headlines, and it's actually it's pretty sad from a personal perspective because you know, you've know gotten to know a lot of these people for 10-plus years. I don't think there's anything to worry about. I think what you're seeing in, in, in a general sense, um, I mean, obviously, the sector is kind of, kind of resetting in terms of equity kind of equity coverage after really a decade long trough effectively. So mm. you know it's it's obviously you know the last week you know every time you turn around the last week or so you see a headline of somebody else moving on um, or another bank kind of kind of resetting their coverage plans as a result of kind of deal flow and trading volumes. But you know, I would actually say that the you know the setup this year actually looks better than it did last year. I think it actually looks better than the year before. But what you're seeing is you know like ten plus years of people kind of holding on and kind of a degree of fatigue that is set in among most of the major banks that's that's really starting to manifest itself now in terms of people finally kind of losing their grip on it. So I view it less of a reflection of, you know, where we stand today versus, you know, what we've seen for the past, you know, the past 10 years. Um, you know, obviously it's not, it's not 2007, 2008. Um, you know, there's a, there's a great Rick Pitino quote from the Celtics when he was briefly coaching there talking about how Larry Bird isn't walking through that door. You know, we're not going to go back to that kind of super peak, but I do think the setup for the year is actually better than it was year over year. Um, and it's certainly a shame that we're seeing so much turnover uh, within the equity space. I do think that, you know, what you're seeing is, you know, while the headlines might be that they, Morgan Stanley or CS and these you know, other banks are leaving the space, UBS, they are keeping C-Port, coverage. General. I mean, as the list goes yeah. on, it's you, pretty... You know, you, you know, you've also seen, you know, BTIG come into the market. You've seen Barenberg come into the market. And what you've seen from the major banks, and, and these are global banks with, you know, particularly heavy infrastructure, right? So you just don't have a U.S. analyst. You've got a European analyst, an Asian analyst, sales in those regions, bankers in those regions. So when the deal flow dries up, you're going to feel that pretty quickly at those kind of platforms. I would say it's it's also it's a bit of a misnomer that that they're all leaving. You know, they're you know they're staying in the spaces where there's potentially immediate deal flow. And I think if you were to see deals come back pretty quickly, they would kind of re-expand that coverage. So, you know, I would suspect CS. And, and Morgan Stanley to be involved in the space in some way. I kind of view that as more of kind of resetting the, the dynamics there back to where they were kind of 10 years ago and kind of mm-hmm. running that back with essentially somebody more junior rolling up into the energy analyst and then letting that person kind of grow and develop from there. So, you know, the headlines do read, you know, do seem particularly dire. I don't think it's quite that bad, but, um, you know, we certainly lost on a net basis two or three uh, important shops. But I, I think if you, you, know, you see the stocks or if you see a deal flow, I, I, I suspect they would be back in, in a hurry. And I suspect there are a number of bankers that are saying the same thing. Well, let's take a look ahead at the rest of the year and maybe identify some of those bright spots that might lure them back in at some point in the uh, relatively near future. Yeah. 
you continue to be pretty bullish around the LNG space. We spoke on the podcast last week about LNG, but you give us your um, current view in terms of where things are going. I think you, you flagged up potential spot of overcapacity, but not until we get further down the line, 2025 plus. Are you still relatively optimistic about things? Yeah, so it, I do think there is a risk that we just, you know, we, we, we just get too long the molecule globally in the three or four years, and you can see that by all the different announcements we're seeing for FIDs. So if I just, if I think about LNG production, you know, we need about 30 to 60 million tons of additional production to meet the demand through 2025. And you, know, you could see Qatar take out half of that on their own. You've got Arctic 2. You've got another project in Mozambique to FID. Um, you've got PNG. So you've got more than enough supply that could come on from just energy majors uh, and, and uh, you know, IOCs and NOCs that aren't going to be playing by the same financing rules as like a Tellurian or a Next Decade or, or a Magnolia. The question is going to be, of those projects that have FID'd, how much of that is portfolio volumes and kind of merchant volumes that could keep the door cracked over for new projects to get done. When we, when we talk about that, we're trying to delineate between which projects get done this cycle versus what projects might FID, say, in two or three years to effectively service demand from 2025 to 2030. So from an equity perspective, you know, that kind of a delta, that kind of a difference, FIDing a project, you know, in three years versus today is a big, it's, it's, it's a very big difference. You're talking about a lot of runway that will be needed, probably dilution. We spent a lot of time trying to aggregate and, and we rank all these projects 1 to 40 in terms of likelihood. We just put that out a couple of weeks ago again. Mm. In terms of the kind of the midstream, in terms of freight and LNG carriers, we are pretty bullish for the next 18 to 24 months. I think that's pretty consensus view. We're starting to see some of the seasonal cargo programs pick up again. You've seen that pick up earlier and earlier each year. Um, Chenier comes to mind. They're actually really very good at running their freight book. And, you know, they, you saw them step into the market in a big way in August of 2017, and then it was June of 2018, and we're sitting here in, in June of, of 2019, um, and you're starting to see freight rates move again as people are starting to get ahead of their seasonal requirements. In addition, you've got a bunch of commissioning cargoes this summer, which should help you know, absorb um, the remainder of the spot market. So we do think it's going to get pretty tight. The, the one thing I would say, as it, as it pertains to LNG equity, so Gaslaw, Gaslaw Partners, Solar, Golan Partners, TK, you know, it's it's one thing to be bullish on freight and to be bullish on, on equities, but typically these stocks work from a top-down perspective. So you need Chenier and the, and the larger cap equities to work for investors then go in and look at secondary and tertiary data trades, the extensions of the primary trade, if you will. So when I look at carriers here, you know, I, I think you know, Asian gas prices, if you look at JKM, you know, you know, in and around four bucks, that's going to be a limiting factor to how, to what kind of upside we see in LNG carrier equities, you know, through the end of the year, if that doesn't improve. And, and I, what I'm basically trying to get at is if, if, J, if Asian gas prices are this low, and people are worried about how much money Chenier may or may not make in their prop book, and those margins are really thin, it's really tough to then pivot to say, oh, by the way, freight's getting really tight. We think rates could go to 100-plus because it, it becomes arm-constrained at a certain point. And whether or not that actually happens, the fact of the matter is we're going to be having a lot of those conversations, and that can make the difference between gas law going from 1.4 times now to 1.8 times now, 1.9 times now, which is where it kind of peaked at last year. So mm -hmm. if we see the seasonal demand pull that I think we, you know, most people expect and that the forward curve for gas indicates, we get back to 8 bucks on JKM. I think everybody generally feels better about trading ARBs, and I think that allows for – 
uh, LNG carrier equities to run again. But that right now, that's a that's a governing factor. And you know, like like so much of this business, effectively, that's going to come down to weather weather patterns in a very small patch of northeast China. Barring a, a particularly warm winter, um, I do think we're going to see that ramp back to you know, call it seven or eight bucks, which is kind of kind of the point where everybody kind of stops being quite as concerned about trading our mar- uh, margins and uh, and it allows for a bid into LNG equities. All right. Well, outside of the LNG scenario, things looking a little bit more volatile over the last you know six months or so. I think it's yeah. fair to say we've seen um, you know a number of the drivers you know had headwinds in in terms of demand. Uh, you've got 2020 on the horizon. You've got the ongoing um, volatility of of the uh, the U.S. China trade war really kicking up a bit yeah. of a stink in terms of a number of the decisions. How does that all pan out in terms of you know your view on the equity side? kind of LNG aside, you've got an exogenous demand shock in IMO 2020. And again, this is going to be pretty consensus, but I think that, you know, tanker equities, we've had, you know, basically stop and start for the past two years, but we are starting to see some of the teeth from IMO 2020 start to impact rates. You started to see some crude storage as people are going to get ahead of the appropriate grades that could be blended. I think that the outside of kind of China trade and tariffs, the catalyst on the tanker side particularly is probably the biggest catalyst we've seen in the space since China joined the WTO. So in general, I think it's actually going to be a pretty, pretty nice 12 to 18 months for tanker equities, irrespective of what happens with China. Mm. You know, I would say that, you know, at, at this point, you know, uh, some sort of trade resolution is certainly going to be important for the container space. I don't think I'm breaking any news there. It's going to be important for LNG and the ability for LNG projects to sell that, that, that gas into China. But at the end of the day, you know, the U.S. is the biggest incremental supplier of gas. The Chinese are the biggest incremental buyer of gas. I think there's at least one deal that's kind of on the goal line, getting ready to get that's ready to go between a U.S. company and the Chinese. I, I still tend to think that we will see resolution of that before the election. And if I put my tinfoil hat on for a moment, I also think we'll probably see an SPR release in the first half of next year. It's a very easy way to look presidential. Talk about lower gas prices, less pain at the pump next summer. So I. I would suspect we see something like that. Clinton did it, I believe, in his first term on economic reasons. I bet we see it again. And then I also think you'll see, from a geopolitical perspective, I think you'll see Trump uh, lean into the Jones Act. He kind of did a 180 after huddling with a few senators when they reminded him that John McCain was anti-Jones Act. So he comes out of that meeting, and now he's very pro-Jones Act. And when you look at you know the, the states that are disproportionately impacted by the Jones Act, it's, it's Pennsylvania and California. California is a lost cause for him. But Pennsylvania is very much in play, so I think the soundbite of, of creating and supporting American jobs by the Jones Act is going to play pretty well. Um, I don't know that we see anything, you know, material come out of it. I don't think we're going to start building LNG carriers in the U.S., but I would suspect you see people banging the drum in that regard in the back half of the year. And the other thing we're, we're keeping an eye on is, is on the container side, trading tariffs. And IMO should should have, as trade and tariff particularly, have impacted the container lines, which is really the dog that kind of wags the tail for container ship owners and box lessors. And the margins there are pretty thin to begin with. I think they're going to have a hard time passing through fuel surcharges uh, related to IMO 2020. We're already kind of seeing that. And typically, you know, the, those names, I'm thinking Textainer, Triton, C-SPAN, Toftamare, CAI, you know, they tend to trade with a pretty tight correlation of bond yields, which is a proxy for, you know, credit risk in in the container line space. So when those guys start losing money, that credit risk goes up, the bond yields go up, equities go down. So they trade with a pretty tight negative correlation there. 
I think it's going to be a fascinating back half of the year. There's, I can't remember there being this many variables in play at the same time. But honestly, when I look at it, you know, I, I do think ultimately trading tariff is going to be transitory. Um, I think IMO 2020 is a real disruption, and I like the idea of of being long, you know, select tankers on the basis that you're just being long inefficiency. You're being long the idea that we're not going to have everything together. For lack of a better term, we're not going to have our shit together on day one. Um, I'm not sure if I can curse on a podcast, but, uh, you know, and that, you know, if it lasts a couple quarters in terms of us kind of ultimately destroying that much HSFO, I think it's going to have a, you know, a significant impact on, on tanker rates and asset values and equity. So I think the setup here, you know, it might be a bumpy summer, but the, the dynamics actually look really good for the back half of the year. Given that confluence of, of macro events and, you know, as you say, a fairly complex picture of variables that, uh, you know, frankly, could go one way or the other in many cases, do you think there is that sort of investor education still when it comes to shipping or is it, you know, is shipping just viewed yeah. as a bit too risky right now by many people? Yeah, you know, it's funny. If you, if you rewind to April and you had, you know, frontline reaching multi-year highs, you had you know, a, a somewhat of a healthy bit into LNG equity, you know, Chenier and, and, and Gaslog partners had, had rebounded pretty significantly. That bit is there, right? It's, it's dramatic in nature. So what, what what is not there is the guy that says, I invest in dry bulk and tankers only. What do you got? That, that hasn't existed for a while, but the thematic energy bit is certainly there. But what you've seen, and this has become more accentuated the past couple of years, is at least on the energy side, a big de-risking into the summer. Where I, there are people that follow this a lot. I mean, I'm, we're probably busier than we've ever been um, in terms of talking to clients, but it's not quite as sticky. You know, I don't. I think they. No one thinks it's going to run away from them in July and August. And sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But you've seen kind of a June de-risking in the energy equity markets for a couple of years in a row now, and I think that's primarily what we're seeing. I do think there like, there are thematic energy and, and to a lesser degree, industrial investors that are certainly looking at this space. And if, if anything, if you look at the way I, you know, the IMO trades has trended, you know, you've seen lots of stops and starts, but it's not like there are people that, that you know, are simply looking past it. It's a question of time frame and risk. And can they get long an IMO 2020 trade in, you know, the back half of 2018? And I think they looked at it, they're looking at it and saying no. But now that we're we're a bit closer, I do think I do think there is a lot of interest. It's maybe less traditional than it used to be, but you know, honestly, the you know the evolution of the space is not necessarily a bad thing. It would be much more concerning to me if nothing ever changed. So the fact that we have to be more thematic in what we look at, keep moving forward, keep looking at new spaces, and so I think that that's still there. It just looks a bit different, and uh, it maybe is a bit shorter term, just in the sense that you know I think that there's been obviously there have been some bad actors in the space and. We put out a governance scorecard, and you know people have to talk about that. But you know it's, that costs everybody money, and that that costs. And, and what we're seeing it right now, if you're not seeing it in equity valuation, you're seeing it in duration in terms of the, the the risk people are willing to take early on these trades. That people are just pretty skittish. But I think that's getting better. Unfortunately, we're losing some leadership. Um, you know, I think Patty Rogers leaving the space is, in particular, is a big loss. Um, you know, whether you agree to them or not, you know, I think that you just don't have that many outspoken leaders that, you know, that aren't afraid to to kind of buck trend and talk about something they believe in rather than just uh, what they think is going to be popular or answering up to kind of a uh, to a principal or kind of a primary shareholder. So I think, you know, the, the sector certainly needs more Patty Rogers, not fewer Patty Rogers. Yeah, really well, I was going to say. Driving I mean, to move the space forward. 
Pelly may be leaving, but uh, you know, at least some, some positive movement from the likes of uh, Michael Parker at Citibank and uh, you know a lot, yeah. a lot of other banking partners. And I was going to ask you, I mean, do you think you know moves like that, uh, however long term the view, are going to you know be a positive impact in terms of the investment story for, for for shipping? I really do, and I think that the sector is is starved for leadership, and I think investors ultimately, either consciously or subconsciously, that plays a role and. You know, it's just I think back to a couple of weeks ago, and it's it's pretty telling that you know you have on one hand people like Michael Parker that are they're going out of their way trying to drive the space forward and trying to lead from the front against the backdrop of you know kind of a, a decaying you know U.S. ecosystem or one that's kind of struggling to adapt and maybe not taking itself quite as seriously at times as it needs to. We generally need more leadership like that. So I think you know I'm. I'm very, very grateful to Michael Parker and his partners for stepping up, and I think we just need to see more of that. And I suspect that we will, but, you know, it's, it's notable. Um, and I think that, you know, it's uh, especially for investors in the U.S. where those themes are a very, very big deal. You know, we've seen entire proxies get voted down simply because of, you know, one box not being checked from an ESG perspective. I mean, it's, it's in our world, it's a very big deal. Well, Mike Weber from Wells Fargo, uh, we're going to have to leave it there for this week, but uh, we will have you back. Uh, I want to pick you up on the government scorecard for the end of the year, see where we are on that. But for now, we'll review your predictions uh, down the line. But thank you very much. Sounds good. Thanks for having me.